iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Hugh Wozencroft. This is a bonus episode in your feed this week on the Game Podcast. During the Premier League's Rainbow Laces campaign, this episode of Stories of Our Times looks at the question of why no players from the top football leagues have come out during their football careers. With lockdown lifting, football stadiums are reopening and fans are flooding back. There is nothing like the roar of the crowd. Thousands of people singing your name. It's what makes match day so great. But there are some aspects of live football crowds that the players are hoping won't be back, as this campaign for Kick It Out highlighted. We've all heard it. You might think chanting about gay, lesbian, bisexual and transgender people is just banter. It isn't. As the sporting world marks Rainbow Laces Day, we ask, why is it that in women's football there are a number of prominent gay players and yet, when it comes to male footballers, there isn't a single openly gay player in any of the top European leagues? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why are there no male footballers who are openly gay? I remember a lot of hype at the time, and I think what it really did was increase interest in this topic. Rebecca Myers is a journalist for The Times and The Sunday Times who often writes about sport. Last summer, like much of the country, she was gripped by a story that was unfolding on social media. Around July, a Twitter account started up claiming to be a footballer in the championship under the age of 23 who was gay. Tweeted, I'm a professional footballer playing for a club in the championship. I will be revealing my identity soon, but I am a proud gay man, hoping to break the mould. I am under the age of 23, and today I came out to my family. Soon I will come out publicly. It gathered 50,000 followers in the ensuing few weeks, and from leading figures in the game. So Gary Lineker, for example, said he would support anyone who wanted to do that. Football, um, PFA, Premier League have to look at themselves. You know, you ask the question, why has no one ever came out? I think football has not created an environment where anyone would feel comfortable and confident about saying, look, I am gay. There must be, there is, there must be gay players and bisexual players playing in the Premier League. There has to be. But no one's felt comfortable enough to come out and say, look, this is me. But then the day before they said they were going to announce their identity, they tweeted... I thought I was stronger. I was wrong. They couldn't do it and deleted the account. They'd actually said that there was a particular date when they would reveal all. It was a countdown element to it, which led some people to be suspicious, naturally. I think there were a lot of people who thought, hmm, is this real? This is a hoax. But it also, I think, led to quite a lot of hope and quite a lot of people thinking, if this is real, if this person really is going to come forward and come out, on the date that they had set, then that would be a major step forward for the game and and for gay rights within the game. Sadly, though, that never happened. And generally speaking, people now believe it was possibly a stunt or a hoax, which is really sad. 
how did you first hear about it? What were people saying about it at the time? There's always been debate about this. There's always been people asking questions about the fact that certainly population-wise, football does not have a representation of gay and bisexual players as we might expect it to have, like any other area of society, I would say. So there's always been a debate about it, but this, I think, really intensified that debate and really caused a moment for it to be discussed. It really threw it into the spotlight. And obviously, as a journalist as well, you have people saying to you, well, do you know who it is? Does, do the journalists know who it is? Is that what's happening? No, we didn't. I certainly didn't. And yeah, I think it really piqued people's interest. And what reaction did that Twitter account have? How did people respond? There was quite high-profile support for it. There were a lot of people who I think for whom it was quite a hopeful idea that someone would come forward. But as I said, there was also great scepticism. There were people who didn't really believe it or certainly didn't maybe want to believe it ahead of it actually coming to fruition and someone coming out. And I've spoken to people who work within the game, not as players, but who are gay themselves, who said that they felt very sceptical from the word go, but also hopeful at the same time and and were very, very sad. And I think a lot of people were very upset to see that in the end nothing came of it because it implies that it was a hoax. And if it was a hoax, that's obviously a very upsetting thing for someone to do. And what drew you to the Twitter account and to this story, really? I cover a lot of women's football in my day job and I spent last summer at the Women's World Cup and Being gay, being bisexual, being LGBT in any way is completely normal in the women's game. There's no great coming outs. Lots of high profile players, including players like Megan Rapinoe, who's the most famous player in the world, lots of them are gay or often have partners in the game. There are two women on the American national team who are married, I believe now. There's women within the English game who are known to be together and it's just not a big deal. There's no discussion around it. There's no great media sensation about it. It's completely normal. Coming from that side you find it very strange then that it is still such an issue in the men's game and quite sad after this twitter account ended up being deleted there was quite a lot of discussion around things like there almost cannot not be a gay footballer in the premier league at all it is statistically it's almost impossible statistically there's a bigger proportion of men who identify as gay in the uk than there are women so it seems improbable when there are so many openly gay female footballers that there wouldn't be any men. But there are some mitigating factors. The nuances are much greater than just back-of-the-napkin maths and there are certain arguments like historically football has been a difficult place to be gay within, so maybe there would be less gay people in football now because they haven't been inclined to go into the game. That's an argument, for example, as to why there might be fewer gay people, but it's still very unlikely that there are no gay or bisexual men at all. And, you know, you've seen the conversation around this increasing. So Troy Deeney, who's the captain of Watford, spoke on a podcast quite recently saying that he believed there was probably one gay or bisexual player in in every team in the Premier League. And yet you never hear about it. Exactly. So I think it really is one of the few areas of public life where we still don't have leading LGBT role models, even in politics now, in the media, in the arts world. It's totally normalised and it's just interesting to ask the question as to why that hasn't happened in the world of men's football. In English football, only one prominent professional player has ever come out whilst they were still playing. Justin Fashionu, who came out in an interview with the Sun newspaper in 1990. Despite a promising start, 
his career never reached the heights of his early promise. And with his personal life, mired in scandal, he killed himself in 1998. Justin Fashionu was football's first million-pound black player, the first professional footballer to come out as gay. He then fought against discrimination from the stands and sometimes in his own dressing room. People come to realise that gay people aren't going to jump on people in the showers or, or all this type of stuff. Three decades on, he remains the only male footballer to have come out during his career. And when he did, the reaction was overwhelming. It caused a huge stir. Unfortunately, there was quite a lot of sensationalised coverage around it and as a result of him coming out. And very, very sadly, his own brother was quite publicly anti him coming out. He's come out publicly and said his sexual preferences. So now he'll have to suffer the consequences. But I wouldn't like to, to play or even get changed in the vicinity. That's just the way I feel. So if I'm like that, I'm sure the rest of the footballers are like that. He described him as an outcast in the press not long afterwards. Justin moved to America later in the 90s. His sort of career was slightly in decline. He was plagued with injury at the time. And in 1998, some allegations were made by a 17-year-old boy of um, sexual assault by Justin, which he denied. He came back to England and very sadly committed suicide in 1998. And I know you've been talking to some of the family. How do they view Justin's death and everything that happened now? I spoke to Justin's niece, Amal Fashionu, who has founded a foundation in his name, the Justin Fashionu Foundation. She wants to help support all footballers, but particularly those facing racism and homophobia in the game. And she's been working in this area for a while now. She was massively affected by his death. She said to me it's affected her entire life. She's in her 30s now. She was 10 when he died, but she was very aware of what was going on. She may only have been 10, but it was all over the press, of course. It was on the radio, on the telly, and it really stuck with her what had happened. She, you know, feels that tragedy very deeply. And she also then... Later in life, she made a documentary in 2012 called Britain's Gay Footballers. There are currently around 5,000 professional footballers in Britain. But incredibly, not a single one of them has come out publicly as gay. And she really had to reckon with her father's role in that and her father's rejection, as it were, at the time of his brother. Do you think that going on TV like you did and saying the things you did was the best way to handle it? Oh, yeah, some viewers will say, oh, look at Big Fash, he's selfish. We're all selfish here. We were all selfish. Justin was selfish because to come out and not care or worry about anybody else and tell the world you were gay in a time when it was so hostile. What I did, I did what I thought was right for our family, our family and myself. And she had to have that conversation with her dad. So I think it really has affected that family ever since. She set up this foundation. Does she think, more than two decades on, has the world of football changed enough to make it easier for people who might want to talk about their sexuality to do so? She definitely believes the game has changed. She said to me she doesn't feel that if a player came out today that they would end up sort of suicidal, certainly like her uncle was. She spoke to me quite a lot about 
wondering what the roadmap was, she called it. She said, what is the roadmap for a player who is sitting at home thinking, I actually want to come out, I want to come out publicly, I want to speak about it. So she's quite determined to help with that path and and plan what that would look like and ensure that support is offered at every step of the way. I should also say there are lots of organisations within the game who are offering support and who do believe that they have offered a kind of pathway, as it were. I spoke to the FA who said that it would be the club's kind of first port of call and the club are there to help with mental wellbeing of all players from the word go. If it was England team, the FA would also kind of support with that. But there's a real sense within the game that everyone's poised. If someone did come out, there would be a huge display of support immediately. Everyone would kind of go straight in there and and back them up because they know how much it's needed to, to have that support. And what did she make of that Twitter account? She called it extremely heartbreaking and just said to me, why would you do that? Why would you engage with all these people and then lie about it? She said she was contacted by the person who was running it, which I heard from one or two people that they had been in touch with the account and said, I can offer you any support or go for coffee and talk about my experience, I will. And she just thought it was shocking that someone would go to that length to then just not do anything at the end of it and and to basically presumably be someone pulling a stunt. Why is it so hard for players to come out? We'll hear from a gay former footballer in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thomas Beattie is a recently retired English football player who spent most of his career abroad. He was living a relatively quiet life as a businessman in Singapore until this summer when he wrote an article for the American sports channel ESPN. And in it, he said something he'd never felt able to say whilst he was still playing. He came out as gay. Rebecca got in touch with him. 
Hi, Thomas. Hi, right, Rebecca. How can you hear me? All right. Yeah, can you hear me all right? Yes. Thomas Beattie, he was a very promising youth player for Hull City. He signed there when he was very young. But when he reached the age of about 18, he felt that it was time for him to move abroad. He really wanted to try his luck in America, where players can get quite good scholarships with, with universities and colleges. And then he spent the rest of his career moving around abroad, so he never really played in the UK. And he most recently played for Warriors FC in Singapore before retiring in 2015. And during his time when he was active in the sport, when he was still playing professionally, was he open about his sexuality? No, and and one of the things he spoke to me about was that for a very long time he just didn't really know. So it's quite interesting, he was talking about, he grew up in East Yorkshire and he was saying he didn't really have any gay role models. I never really saw examples of people within the LGBT community growing up in uh, Northern England. I think just the culture and society there is not, typically being exposed to many examples of that. And and what I'd really see on television was the very uh, flamboyant, colourful guy behind the bar on a TV show. He didn't see many gay men at all. He said there would be occasionally gay men on TV, for example, but they were always very flamboyantly dressed, very kind of, I suppose, what we would see as a stereotypically camp depiction of a gay man. And he just said to me, I looked at that depiction and thought... I couldn't connect with that. So I never really saw an example of myself within the LGBT community. Mm. And I, I think it was it's going through that process has been overwhelming. But I, you know, That can't be I me. Really he was very masculine. He played lots of football. He was really sporty. And there didn't seem to be anyone who identified as gay who he saw who also was that. So he kind of wrote that off in his mind, I think. But he told me that he always had a sense that something was, you know, not quite right, that he wasn't quite the same as everybody else. He tells a very compelling story about going to a strip club when he was quite young at Hull City with some of the older players. Yeah, it definitely is something that is obviously a really hypersexualized environment that, you know, at times made me feel uncomfortable but I didn't really understand why I was uncomfortable with Mm. it because I couldn't really comprehend the last thing I thought I was was gay Mm. I'll tell you that I was like there's no way I'm not not really enjoying it in the way that everybody else was but didn't understand why for obvious reasons he was very young and so he spent a lot of his career I think kind of trying to understand what it was about him that he didn't really know or that felt different and it was only actually when he had a head injury he um He suffered a really bad concussion, I think, during a clash on the pitch that he actually took stock and thought, this is it and I need to be honest with myself and be honest with everybody around me and and speak to my family and tell everyone about this. How did he do that? So he came up to his family initially. Once I decided I was going to tell everyone in one fell swoop, I told my family and friends back home in England because... First and foremost, I wanted to share that part of me with them. He said to me that he wasn't asking for their approval in a sense. He just wanted to let them know. He believed and felt that they would love him regardless and said he he felt very lucky in that respect. And then back in June, he wrote a piece on ESPN, on the sports website, about being gay and being a footballer, which I think would probably be fair to say he didn't quite expect it to take off as much as it did. I was mega overwhelmed, to be honest. Like, the first two weeks, I was, at uh, three weeks, I was kind of, like, anxiety central. He was on the Today programme a couple of days later. He was in all the papers. Everybody wanted to talk to him. Everybody wanted to interview him. But I think he'd just come to a point in his life where he felt that, it was time and he, he told me quite a funny story about 
last year. This last year, just gone, I was voted one of Singapore's most eligible bachelors. and He was named Singapore's most was, eligible bachelor, yeah. <laughs> which is quite was, funny. Yeah, definitely didn't need that. <laughs> not that what you wanted. <laughs> not what I wanted. Not what I wanted at all. He and said it was, was quite uncomfortable because again, by that point he knew he was gay, mind. but he hadn't really come out in a public way. And so I was kind of going through the process of, you know, doing some interviews and, and kind of lying about things. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going down this road. Mm. And so he said he found so himself having to constantly, I guess, move around those conversations and work out how to have them. And, and at that point, he just thought, I just don't want to do this anymore. I just want to be who I am and I want to be out there as exactly who I am. So I think it was a kind of perfect combination of things that led him to that point. the response like? Overwhelmingly positive and that's one of the things he said to me he said he had been braced for potentially some negative messages potentially some trolls that kind of thing. I wouldn't even like to say a number of how many positive ones I had because it literally was in the tens of thousands. Wow. Hundreds hundreds of thousands but the negative ones I could count on one hand honestly. That's amazing. I was really surprised. It wasn't just kind of random fans or anything it was also he said players he'd played against before or you know officials who'd refereed his matches or something, everyone getting in touch. I've had great support from people, football supporters, mm. players who I've played with, players who I've played against, coaches, people in music, mm. film, mm. fashion, politics. I've had un- unbelievable support from various forms of people and so I'm, I am really overwhelmingly grateful. Everybody wanted to talk to him, everybody wanted to, to cover his story and I think he found that slightly perplexing because he was over in Singapore on the other side of the world, no longer playing football. But I think he also found it quite encouraging because it showed that there was a real appetite to support someone in that circumstance and a real appetite to show that this is 2020 and the game would support that person. I think as a, as a player, if you can understand that, you have support around you and you will be protected. This is definitely a star. I know he he's not, you know, he just can't really begin to compute what it would have been like to, to have come out while he was playing, but... Did he feel at the time like it was this environment where he could? Would it have been an easy conversation to have back then? I get the sense that certainly when he was a youth player, so, you know, in his teens or late teens or early 20s, he didn't necessarily feel that it was the environment where you could. But all, equally, I think the pressure of being in the spotlight or being in an environment which is under a magnifying glass is also daunting when you don't really know who you are. Part of that is because he didn't know and because he didn't realise, but I don't think that the world of football necessarily lent itself back then to someone coming out and saying, well, actually, I'm gay. I put it to him, particularly that anecdote about the strip club, I put it to him that it might be much, much harder for a player who was gay to feel that they could talk about it with their teammates if they were being taken to strip clubs, for example, and there was mm. that quite hypersexualized, hypermasculine environment. And he just said, well, yeah, but... I can't deny that, but I also don't know how you change it, which is quite interesting. I mean, I think football's moved on quite a lot in terms of the expectations on players now to be extremely elite, extremely professional, not drinking very much, for example, not going out partying as much when they're training. But there's no doubt that there are still instances with players, I mean, we saw it over lockdown, players who have escorts to their apartments and stuff like that. There's still that very hypersexualized aspect to some of the game. And I certainly think that must play a factor if you are gay to friends and family and maybe close people not necessarily wanting to come out. 
what is the current climate like for gay footballers? Because it does sound like whilst Tom Beatty's experience has been quite positive, as you said at the start, we still don't actually have any currently serving footballers in the Premier League. Nobody's talking about it out loud. I suppose the first really important thing to say is that it's better than it ever has been. And one thing that I did countless interviews for this and and one thing everybody wanted to stress to me, no matter which kind of angle of the game they came from, was that this is not a case of football's doing nothing. There are huge amounts of work going on behind the scenes to make sure that players feel supported, that there's education in place. So it is the best it's ever been. And certainly there are people who believe that there are players who are out within their own dressing rooms, so out to their teammates. A couple of people said that to me. They said, well, I'm sure that there are players whose teammates know they're gay, but it's just not kind of gone beyond that. And they've not come out to the kind of general public, as it were, which is, of course, a very different thing to do. One person said to me, what other workplace is there that you have to conduct your work in front of 50,000 strangers? (laughs) Which is a very, very (laughs) good point. point. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody wants to feel included and liked by their peers and the people around them. And, And so having that in the back of your mind... You know, there's 50,000 people in the stadium and I don't know if the majority of them will, what they feel about this topic. That is a real fear for players. As an athlete, you're used to being judged. That's normal. But you're kind of judged on your actions, on your performance, on the things you have control of. But kind of understanding you're going to be judged on something you have no control of, that you was born with, mm. is, uh, is scary. And I suppose fans at football matches can be quite hostile at the best of times. Is there any indication of how they would react to something like this? This is a really tough one. I mean, I've sort of described it as the elephant in the room, but it's it's also a bit of a taboo, I might say. Mm. Generally, the consensus is that fans have moved on massively. This isn't the kind of old days of football hooliganism or anything, and there are a lot of people who are far more open-minded than ever before, who would be very supportive of a gay player. The problem that you tend to have, and someone described it to me, is the vocal minority and the silent majority. So the idea that the bulk of fans would find any kind of homophobic chant abhorrent, would feel really, really deeply that it was wrong, that would want to stop it, but that it only takes one fan with a homophobic chant in his head to start up a chant, to start other people joining him in. And there's that element in football grounds of tribalism. It can be quite aggressive occasionally. We know that there's been a number of hate crimes reported at football games in recent years. Some people are arguing it's just that reporting is going up and it's not that hate crimes themselves are going up. That's completely valid and true, but it still means that that X many (laughs) hate crimes are happening, which I think we need to recognise. So it's just a really hard thing to work out how much fans play a part in this and how much footballers are concerned about what fans would do. I think there's also the issue of what we might call banter, and that's a really nebulous concept. Yes. Covers a multitude of sins. Yes. (laughs) But there are football chants that are really well known. If you think back to, for example, even when I was a teenager, I remember Ashley Cole, for example, the, the former England player, lots of chants directed at him of a homophobic nature, questioning his sexuality. And a lot of these things have been very normalised for a very long time within the game. People can get away with calling them banter or tradition or whatever that might be. And I think there's a real recognition within the game that that needs to stop and that that needs to be really addressed and, and a clear line needs to be drawn now between what is and isn't acceptable. This is something Rebecca heard in a number of her interviews. There's a fear of how fans will react, 
about chance and hostility. And there are other cultural factors too. Another challenge that makes it harder for players who want to come out is what's described as the searchlight culture. This was a really interesting phrase that came up in some of the interviews I was doing. A lot of them attribute it to press coverage saying who's the next gay footballer or with anonymous accounts of someone who claims to be a gay footballer, for example. But it's also when rumours start and, and what they said is it creates this, like you said, searchlight culture, this atmosphere in which everybody's looking to see who it might be. So, for example, if a rumour starts about one footballer, you might find that fans take to social media to sort of speculate who it might be. Um, and actually on two occasions, two footballers have actually come forward and said, it's not me, which is really anti-coming out. It's their prerogative to do that, but you can only imagine how that might make someone feel who is thinking about coming out, having someone say, yeah. oh, I'm not gay, it's not me, it's not me. It's quite detrimental to that cause, I think. We've been talking about this in terms of whether people feel comfortable enough to be able to come out while they're playing the game or if they have to wait until afterwards. Is there just too much emphasis on people needing to come out? That was the argument that a lot of people made, was that actually no one's going to come forward at the moment when everyone's going, oh, it's a shame we don't have a gay footballer. <laughs> And Thomas Beattie said to me as well, he said, we've built it up into this mythical thing. Who is it going to be? It's going to be such a big deal when they do. And, and that's a really daunting environment for anyone to consider coming forward in. So a lot of people are saying, well, that's the wrong question. And we just need to quietly get on with focusing on making sure there's an environment that they feel they could come out in, making sure that the support networks are there, that they know where they could go. And then we try and basically forget about it or stop talking about it and let people get on with their lives and I think it's such a tricky situation that you just don't know which way to proceed. A lot of people do believe that yeah there's just simply too much hype right now. And for the next generation obviously it is very difficult and there's a lot of focus on it at the moment. Is there more hope for the people who are just coming through? It's perfectly possible that there are players playing in elite academies right now who are teenagers probably and do know that they're gay and their friends know they're gay and it's just not a big deal. The next generation, they're far more relaxed about sexuality of any kind, any kind of LGBT issues. They're really aware of them. They've been educated properly um, and there simply just might not be any coming out to happen, if that makes sense. There may never be a grand coming out. There will just be a player who comes through, be a few players who come through who are and always have been out gay and all bisexual. It would take away that element of the pressure on one person because it would just, I think, happen quite naturally. Within the game, the hope is that for the next generation, it just won't be an issue. It just won't be so much of a big moment for them or a big build-up to it happening. And, and we've, there's a real hope that for this next generation that it will be a non-issue. It won't be a problem. They'll know that their teammates support them. They'll know that their management don't really care. <laughs> you know, just see it as anything else, any other player in the squad. And that is, I think it's kind of hard to quantify how important that can be. And Rebecca, for you, you follow football day in, day out. This is what you report on. Has this story changed your view of that world? We know that there's anti-homophobia work going on within football, but this story really took me to truly understanding the amount of work that goes on to combat homophobia, the amount of work that goes on to educate players, educate management, educate staff. So in some ways it was a really heartening story to do because I do think that the game is really aware of, of this and really working to combat it. Obviously it's also sad in the sense that 
think anyone who works in the game is disappointed that in 2020 it's still an issue that we have to talk about. But I'm really hopeful that all of this work going on and the next generation and the positivity that's coming into football, the demographics of fans are changing as well to kind of better reflect society. And it's left me with a fair amount of hope. Change won't happen overnight, but there are reasons to be hopeful. This week, as football matches kicked off again, every team captain donned an armband in support of the Rainbow Laces campaign, a visible sign of solidarity with the LGBT community. I do like to think that things are changing and if you start to put in these guidelines and these boundaries of what we're going to tolerate and what we're not and as a community and society, then over time these things will help towards that. Mm. It would be sad to assume that we're just going to carry on for the next 30 years, you know, stagnant. <laughs> there needs to feel like there's some progress. And, and as well, I think it gives a little bit of hope. And so for people who, who don't play sport, who are in that community, I think people... In general, they look up to athletes and musicians and actors. And I think, with that being said, it adds that element of motivation, inspiration, mm. hope. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, journalist for The Times and The Sunday Times, Rebecca Myers, and you also heard from the former footballer, Thomas Beattie. You can read more of Rebecca's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Nicola Rolfast. If you have time, please do leave us a review. We read all of them. And if you have a story you think we should be covering or any thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.